happening. This is strange for me, I think, in one sense, because we are very new to this congregation. Three months we have been here. Um, So just a real quick brief so you know who I am and maybe your expectations might be a lot lowered. Um, I grew up in Bentonville, and I graduated in 91 and went to Harding for one semester and had no clue what I wanted to do. And so I joined the Air Force. And so I was in 10 years. And while I was in high school, before that, I thought I would never marry at Andrea, nor because there was an Andrea. So if you have that name, it's beautiful now to me, but it wasn't, um, just due to someone I knew. And then I thought I would never, with family encouragement, marry a Californian. So just recently, we had celebrated our 23-year anniversary, and it was Andrea from California. Um, so while I was in the military, I had met her, so it's, it was a wonderful thing. So never say never. Um, I think God does have some sense of humor. But while I was in the uh, military, <clears throat> I was in 10 years, and, and most of it was in California. And during my time in um uh, I learned a lot as far as getting serious with my faith. I wish it was a lot sooner in high school. I wish I developed that uh, more seriously early on. Uh, But I started getting really serious about my faith, wanting to know God more clearly, uh, better. And that's when I met my wife and her family. You go home and sit in the living room, and that's what they would talk about. And it was just odd to me. I didn't grow up in that type of family, so it was such a huge blessing. So after I met her, it was just a few months later we were engaged because we, I wanted that commitment uh, with the, my wife. But during that time, I would hear people at work talk about things that were the challenges, the, the questions that are still very real today that people still ask. If God is a good God, why is there what? suffering in the world. Well, I didn't learn then what I wish I know. You know, I wish I knew then what I know now, right? Uh, Because there's a whole lot of problems just in that statement and claims. And one of those claims is all suffering is what? Bad. But that's not true. There's a lot of good in suffering. And so there's a lot of things that we learn through that to help people work through that uh, and to work through those challenges that they have as they walk in this world and they try to follow a God, a good, loving, perfect God. So I was set under one of my supervisors was Madeline Murray O'Hare's nephew. I don't know if anybody knows who, do you know, does that name ring a bell? Fought very hard to get prayer at a public school, those type of things. And um, the same time that he was my supervisor, she went missing. And eventually she was murdered, is what they found out. My supervisor was very hard on me. Nowadays, I don't think it would be so much. But back then, that was very difficult to work for a man that would challenge my faith when I was just getting into it, just learning the ropes and working hard. And so I would come home freaked out because he had a book with all these contradictions and all these alleged absurdities. And he would read them to me. Or he'd ask me one day, this one or that one. And I'd go home and i have to read it and I would study in the Bible. I would ask Andrea's parents, how do we work through this? And there was an old book they gave me that helped 
on some of those. Dehoff's um, alleged contradictions explained. So there was a lot of things that I had to work through. And I wish now my encouragement to, to young adults in stu- uh, high school and elementary, get into the Word, just get into it. Because if I had that foundation, I would understand context better. I would understand, well, that, you don't know that story very well to say that. And so that's what kind of sparked um, maybe tonight's lesson. What I, what I would like to do, we're going to be in, in Genesis. But we are going to cover a passage in Genesis. It's chapters uh, 12 through 50. That's 38 chapters. But what I want to do, um, I am diligent. My wife is too in prayer for our children. We want them to be men and women of integrity, of humility, of faith, of followers of God. That's true. And so in that prayer, you know, that's me as a father wanting for my children. And then I think God as a father. What does He want for us? What what would God our Father want for His children to look like? To be like? And so that's a challenge to me because the world sees Christians at times. and, And the people that we go to work with and the people and maybe even our neighbors that we run into... Now, we lived in the Northwest for some time, and I tell you, it's all over the place there, but it's here in Arkansas as well, and even in Bentonville. I went up there. That's a whole new city to me. I get lost in my own hometown now, and then same with the culture, the people. The questions, how do we ask? And they, and they see us. We say we're believers, And then they struggle because they see somewhat of a functional, we are functional unbelievers. We may say we believe in God, but then the things they see that we stress about, that we freak out about, that we have anxiety over, that we get angry over, and all those things kind of illustrates we don't really have a faithful God. Because if I say I believe in God, the way I live, the way I act, the way I talk really portrays I don't really, I have a defective God in their eyes when it's really my lack of faith or belief. And so I want my children to be functional believers and to, the, to present God in, in for who He is, everything He is. And yeah, we're going to fall and we're going to see that. And so Genesis 12 is where we're going to begin, but what I want to do is kind of get us up to 1 through 11. 1 through 11, we got creation, the fall, the flood, and the tower, right? That's pretty much 1 through 11. In creation, Genesis 1 and 2, Moses wrote that because you got a children of Israel, you got God's people that are living in a very pagan area all over that they're wandering and they're living in, Canaan. They believe in Baal. I mean, they hear about, and some of them believed in him. Baal and Isis and those gods. And, and they believe creation came about by this war, the outcome of, of these gods fighting and, and having very human temptations and, and desires. And so, so he writes this down for Israel to understand who God is. Genesis 1, God spoke peacefully the world into creation. It wasn't by war. It was by his power and him being the only creator God. 
And so you see through chapter 1 of Genesis, and sometimes this is a conflict that I got. This is what I got from that that supervisor. You have two creation accounts, chapter 1 and chapter 2. How do you resolve that? It's really not when you read that. Genesis 1, when you look at it, Elohim, for God, is 35 times in 31 verses. Meaning, He's the central character in that section. Then you get to chapter 2, and all of a sudden he introduces Yahweh. So Elohim is a descriptive name. So like father, I'm a father, I'm a dad. But Yahweh is his personal name. My name is Mike. And so he goes into chapter 2, and you start to see things, because chapter 1 he does something, and it was good. And he creates the animals, and it was good. Everything was good. And you get to chapter 2, and he throws in something, and it wasn't so good. Why? What wasn't good in, that he discovers? Adam being alone. See, chapter 2 goes into showing God's desire for a relational God. He wants people. He wants his people. He wants this relationship. That we get to chapter 3 gets jeopardized. Because man fell for something else. He had that. I get jealous. Think about that. Adam and Eve got to walk with him and talk with him. And I think, you idiots, you fell for that. When you had that relationship. In fact, you go to the prophets, Jeremiah 2. That's what Jeremiah, God is saying. You thought you'd go dig these cisterns that can't even hold water. And I was the living water that kept giving it to you. Be appalled, O heavens. Look at that, it's crazy. So that's, the, that's what he wants. That's what Moses is trying to portray to Israel. This is who your God is. Don't fall for these other gods. Then you get how wicked man gets uh, throughout those chapters. In 6, he floods the world. And it grieves him. In chapter 11, man does it again, right? Build a tower because what was their purpose in the tower? so that they can make a name for themselves. Their eyes are completely off of God again. And so he scatters, and so we see that over and over. And so if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you want to, read 12 through 50. It took me three hours, six minutes. And what it does, I don't think I've ever read in my life 38 chapters straight through in one setting. But it does help a little with seeing a big picture. Because we can get caught up. And one of the common things when I was in the military, my wife and I would have these Bible studies with people. And it seems like that was the most fruitful grounds for Bible studies. I don't know why. Living on the military base, we seem to have far more Bible studies in than we have ever had anywhere else we've been even as a minister. And so it's really strange to me. But some of the common things is, if Abraham was such a good guy, I mean, when he lied, God blessed him. How could God bless someone who's a liar? That was a very common problem that people got when they started reading through Genesis. So we get, read that. If you can read it in one setting, it'll, it'll take you three hours. That's like two movies. Have you ever watched two movies in a row? The old movies long ago were even almost that long. So just try it. It'll be good, I think. Um, 
But I want to give some highlights. We're not going to go through all 38 chapters, so now you can be at peace. We're not going to be here for three hours. It would be more, huh? Um, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Because this section, these 38 chapters are about four people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so I want to look and, and, and kind of go through and see a big picture of what's being said here. Chapter 12, verses, the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So up to this point, everything was really bad. Everything God was doing, right? He, he confused them at the Tower of Babel. He flooded the nations because of what was going. He cast them out of the garden. It seemed to be bad thing after bad curses up to this point. And now it's, I'll bless you, I'll bless you, I'll bless you. And so what he does is, Abram, he says, you're going to have a land. Your name is going to be great. You're, you're, going to be, you're going to be a great nation. And in fact, you're going to bless all nations. I can't imagine being Abram and hearing that. One, I think I'd be scared, terrified because of the amount of responsibility that would go with that. But that's what he says to Abram. And Abram does go. Abram's faith causes him to follow God and go. So when he gets to the land, what happens? There's a famine. And Abram, his faith kind of gets shattered. Even though God said, I will give you land and I will bless that land, he takes off and goes to Egypt. He leaves the land that God wants him to stay at. In fact, when he gets to Egypt, he says, Sarah, you know, you're, you're gorgeous. We better say you're my sister, or they might take my life. But God said he's going to have a great nation. A, a, a descendants, as many as the stars or the sand of the sea. And he almost jeopardizes that. And so... As you look at Abram, uh, he goes on. He, later on, Abram says, I, I'm really not having many children anymore. Or any at all. Eliezer is actually going to be my heir. And so you get to chapter 16, and instead of listening to God, he listens to who? His wife. Says, hey, go with Hagar. Maybe you'll be able to have children. And we saw, remember the problems? You read that, it just caused a whole slew of problems. And then eventually God is faithful and provides a child, Isaac. And so, and then, then he's asked to sacrifice Isaac. And Abram takes Isaac to go do that. And God is faithful again by providing a substitute. Then Isaac. God is faithful to Isaac. He provides him a wife, Rebekah. And Isaac, as he goes on, uh, gives him two sons, Esau and Jacob. But then Isaac does 
something his father had done. He lies in Egypt about Rebekah. He failed in his faith, even though God said, I'm giving you the same blessing I'm giving Abraham, your father. Then you get to Jacob, who forces his brother with food to give him a birthright, who is deceptive, he steals the blessing, he tricks his father-in-law. You don't really want to do that. Uh, Then he goes on, uh, Jacob wrestles with God, he shows favoritism to Joseph over his other sons. And then Joseph, you know, we get to Joseph and we really don't see so much of that problem. I don't understand that. You have father, grandfather, and great-grandfather with all these faith issues, but Joseph is pretty strong, isn't he? Maybe Joseph had some of that when he was young in the way some say he might have been boastful around his brothers, which caused him to get sold and into Egypt. And then while he's in jail, even though he understands God, he kind of tries to get himself out of prison by setting up ways to get out. But it didn't work for him. It's on God's timing for God to be faithful. So I read that. Then when I get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, what do we call that normally? Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of faith or the faith chapter. And you see, by faith Abram left his homeland. By faith Abram, he offered his son Isaac. By faith Isaac did this. By faith Jacob did this. By faith Joseph. And I think, well, history, when you read it, doesn't really look like that. Because the trend that I saw was fail, 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 faith, fail, or fail, 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 moment of faith, fail. Isn't that what we read through those, those 38 chapters? Even Samson's in that list. That's more like fail, 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 faith, dead, is what happened to him. And so when I read, a le- when I read that, I, I, I struggled with that. There's, so maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm missing something from Genesis because I thought the focus was on those four men. But when you go back and look at it, it's not on them. It's on God being faithful in spite of man. So the answer to my friends in the military was, okay, Abraham lied and God blessed him. You know what? No matter what Satan does, no matter what man does, God is going to stay faithful to his promises. And he promised Abram, you're going to have many descendants. And he tried to jeopardize that too many times. So no matter what we do, no matter what the circumstance, God is faithful. That's what those 38 chapters are about. It's not about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm thankful they're in there. I'm thankful that they have done that because it makes it look like, okay, I know if I make them, I can come back. I can see who, who's really faithful. I think that's what Hebrews 11 really is saying because when you look at Hebrews, the whole book, the whole letter, you got chapter 1, you know, the first uh, all those chapters, actually, up to chapter 11, it's, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the sacrifices, than man's greatness. And then Jesus is greater in chapters 12 and 13. 
I don't think it's man's greatness. I think what chapter 11 of Hebrews is saying, because of God's faithfulness, by faith, Abram did this. Because of, that's what I think, when Abram's standing here, I'm thinking, if Abram was here with us today, Abraham, and I asked him, you had a ridiculous faith to bring your son onto the altar. The promised son that God gave and said he would be faithful. He put him on the altar to sacrifice him. He didn't, you know what's really neat about that faith is he got up early in the morning to do so. So he grew in his faith. But he would say it's not ridiculous faith. I doubted and I doubted and I doubted. But I finally understood God's faithfulness. That was the motivation for me living for him. And sometimes we can get, and I've been there, it's embarrassing, arrogant about our faith. Oh man, I study hard, I read hard, I'm raising my family to follow God, and I have this faith in God. Well, good on you. I mean, think about it. You have the creator of the world who is 100% reliable, and I have faith in him. That's a a no-brainer, isn't it? That's not anything good on us. It's everything to do with who He is and what He's demonstrated to us. I want to show the world that. This is my story. This is my song that we just sang. I want to show that to the world. I want to show who God is and that He's faithful. Doesn't the world need to hear that? Because they're falling for so much stuff that's letting them down. I want the world to know how great my God is. And we can say things like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make a leap of faith. As if it's a risky thing. It's costly, but it's not risky. We may say things, you know, you guys, oh, you have such a good, strong, blind faith. No, it's not blind. My God told me over and over and over that He is faithful. And I trust Him. There's no blind faith in that. And when I was younger, and some uh, you, you might hear it when younger, so you older folks are, are okay with this one. But uh, to say, I want to do something that will stretch my faith. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to evangelize. I want to talk to my neighbor. And as if it's a one-time event. My faith is in Him. It's not in anything that I will do. It is in Him because He is faithful. Really think about it. I love my wife and I trust my wife. But there's really no one on this earth that we can trust 100% except for Him. How awesome is that, that we know that? Genesis 15, 1-6. There's some things I want to draw from these 38 chapters. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I used to focus on verse six. He believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. But this is shrouded in what? A moment of doubt. Abraham was doubting. He was shooken up, shook up. He's like, God, you didn't, you said you were going to do this. I don't see it happening. It's not going to happen. And he reminded, well, come here, let's go outside, look at the stars. And then he believed, he remembered. The walk of faith is trusting in God's faithfulness that is already revealed. When we have faith in his faithfulness, it's already revealed to us. We have this here. In fact, we are far off better. We are far better off than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Because we have the promise of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we see it. We're on this side of the cross. How awesome is that? We've seen far more promises fulfilled than they have. And yet one more to come. Our faith is trusting in God's faithfulness that is already revealed. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 There's no temptation that you're going to face that you, that you cannot bear. He's going to provide. He's faithful to provide an escape for you. Do you believe that? I love it because um, Chris last week brought up uh, Genesis 4-7. And that's Cain's, God saying to Cain, you know, sin is crouching at the door. You must rule over it. You must rule over it. Meaning we are not controlled by sin. And so when sin is there, when, when the temptation's there, or I'm having a bad day and I'm, I'm angry at someone on the road, or I'm angry at someone at work, or I even yell at my own family. Do we believe First uh, John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, He is faithful to what? Forgive Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is faithful? Or do we beat ourselves up thinking, oh, I just can't do it? He says we got a way out of it. His promises are already revealed to us. Genesis 22, 1 through 3. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abram rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And that's what we talked about earlier. That is crazy faith. That's what I would have said to Abraham. And he says, no, you don't understand. It took me all these years to get to that point. To see God's faith. And so the lesson from that I believe is a, our faith, a walk of faith in God's faithfulness when things are completely uncertain. When they don't make sense. When they're unknown. Because that is very much uncertain to Abraham. 
Can you imagine what he was thinking? I think we can because we're human. These men of faith that we raise up and put on a pedestal, they were very much just like us. I don't understand Peter. Peter spoke from the Spirit, right? And he had all the power on the day of Pentecost, the boldness to preach. And then later on, he's cowering because he's afraid of what these Hebrew Christians might think when he's talking to pagan. I, that's crazy. But we do the same. They're human. And so, yes, we can imagine what was Abraham's mindset about Isaac. You promised me we would have a huge nation from him. And now you want me to kill him? But he didn't even do that. He went and did it. Faith is trusting in God's faithfulness when things don't make sense or they're uncertain. And it definitely makes it easier when we are going through very difficult times. God's promise for those of us who walk with Him is that He is with us always. Do we believe that all things work out good for those who love Him? Because we have been in circumstances that did not make sense that some good can come out of and we finally saw them later. The good. And the other thing I think through all these chapters that I think is most exemplified in these four men that when you don't trust God, it gets ugly. When you trust in yourself. Or take things, you take matters in your own hands, it's never good. But when you trust in Him and His faithfulness, it's beautiful. There's power. And we relieve our stress, our anxieties, our worries, our fears, because we trust Him. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which does not make sense. That's what it's saying. Which surpasses knowledge or understanding. Because the people, the world is seeing you as a believer, a functional believer, and they're saying it doesn't make sense for you to have peace when you're going through this circumstance, do we believe the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus? I believe it. I sure wish I believed it five years ago, a little bit more. Ten years ago. Twenty years ago. Far more than I do now. So the story is, where I think the main point is God is faithful. So if we want to portray Him to the world, if we want to make Him known to those who are suffering all around us and those who are suffering within us, put your faith in His faithfulness. Remember, I, we, that's a blessing of having this all put together. 
we see the promises over and over in here, and we see them fulfilled over and over. So our faith is a no-brainer. It's not really any power on us that I have a great faith. It's because He's the only being that I can put any faith into. And I want the world to know that. And I think they understand. I talk, we've talked with people. They get to a point they just don't understand how they got there, and it was because they were fooled, thinking that was going to bring them peace or happiness or joy or contentment or satisfaction. And it left them empty like those dry cisterns. Come to the Father. Come to the One who promises He'll give you that stream of living water. And you won't ever have to worry, fear, or be thirsty. If you would, I guess we're, we have a song we're going to sing. Uh, let's stand. And um, I'm going to offer a prayer for all of us. And then we'll sing. Father, it's so grateful to be together as a family, to, to get to know you more. I'm grateful for so many in here that we get to see you more clearly in their lives. Help us when we leave these walls that if we see anybody inside these walls suffering, that we go and help and remind them of your faithfulness. Help us to present that to the world who is really, they're wandering and they're lost. We thank you for that mission and that purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to take the Lord's